the future of learning is going to be micro-credentials, going to be learning continuously so that, so that it's not this four-year experience. The world has never been changing more rapidly, dislocating the ways we work, learn, and live. On the Learning Future podcast, we discuss the knowledge, skills, and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers, and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry. Today, we are speaking with the wonderful Anna Rold. Anna is an award-winning media executive and is the founder of Diplomatic Courier, the flagship media network and magazine for top diplomats and policy leaders around the world. For over a decade, she has served as the chief editor of the G7, G20, and APIC Summit publications. She also runs a futuristic think tank, The World in 2050, which has convened over 10,000 multi-stakeholders in the United States and Europe since 2012. She also, in her spare time, teaches comparative politics at Northeastern University, and she joins us today from her home in the United States. Anna, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Such a pleasure to be with you, Luca. Thank you. So I'm very excited for this conversation, and knowing the breadth of understanding you have, we could take this in any direction. But I just want to ask you this question to begin, which is, what is the thing that is really lighting you up, the kind of the big theme that, that you're becoming increasingly interested on? Uh, in in the way you contribute to the world? Oh, what a loaded question. Sounds simple, right? Um, I would say um, I have become increasingly interested, especially in 2020, in how collective intelligence works. Especially in the United States, we have been somehow led to believe that it's individual actions, acts of genius that are going to kind of change the world. It's this very Silicon Valley attitude mm. that it's this single hero message, right? Yeah. Um, that a hero will come and a hero will change the world and make everything better. But I've been very, very interested, especially in this year of, of um of acceleration of everything, you know, acceleration of hardship and resilience and, and multiple pandemics, you know, no pun intended, mm. of, of how collective intelligence and collective understanding of issues and collective um, uh, planning and, and working together, how that actually has made all the difference. It's not a hero that will save us, but it's sort of this collaboration um, um, attitude. And so that's what I'm really focused on because I think now more than ever, we have this ability uh, to bring together geniuses from all over the world in multiple uh, industries and, and areas to work together and to collaborate. Um, we're in past Renaissance. Mm we didn't you know we had a da vinci or we had a michelangelo and and those people were the uh, geniuses of their time and they did everything right but they had no way of working together you know across sectors or so imagine if we were able to bring all those types of geniuses together in this day and age and and this is sort of like uh, what keeps me up at night and I'm th- mm. you know I think about how do we build that community of intelligence uh, to to work towards these big problems. Oh, that's fantastic. Uh, and, and clearly through some of your work, you know, the world in 2050 and, and diplomatic courier, it's about being able to share those insights and connect the, th- the kind of thinkers and doers of the world. Uh, I, I'm interested in your reflection on 2020. You know, we're recording this in December of 2020. Uh, 
as you say, there's been such an acceleration in, you know, the 1.5 billion learners that were disrupted in schools, for example, the way that universities have all transitioned their own models, the way that companies even, you know, work from home has been absolutely transformed in terms, you know, so we've seen, you know, a decade of acceleration in uh, 10 short months. So, you know, what's, what would you say are some of the, the kind of big themes that you can, we can draw out from 2020 with COVID-19, uh, reminding us that we are all connected, as you say, we're all actually part of something larger than ourselves and the individual, uh, but also as a, as a teacher, what might it have taught us as well about who we are and who we might want to become? So several things, right? It's the year of the great acceleration for sure. So everything was that was underneath and we kind of ignored and worked on it, but not with great urgency came to that came all at once. So it felt like we were feeling the great automation that we've been talking about, the future work we've been talking about the past two decades. It all happened this year, right? And the great digitalization of, of industries, it all happened all at once. And we realized that some of these big changes that we were worried about and that we thought we needed to do in increments that they weren't so difficult to do. People were very quick to adapt because this is human nature. And we, we tend to think that change, that people don't change, but it's institutions that don't have an interest in changing. People are very good at changing because this is what we've done for thousands of years, right? This is how we survived. Um, so in that sense, I see the great acceleration that happened this year of all these big problems compounding all at once as a very positive thing. Um, of course, it's not positive that kids were out of school. Of course, it's not positive that people have lost their jobs, but it is very positive in how we realized exactly what it would take to bring emissions down, right? Inadvertently, we learned exactly how we needed to do this. And now there's actual bona fide research that tells us, here's how you need to bring emissions down mm -hmm. if you did this every year. Um, we learned exactly what works and what doesn't in educational technology, how to use these tools. We thought that they could just fix everything and we realized that school is not the place. It's not about the building. It's yeah. about everything else. We learned about, uh, so, the, so those were, came, um, that, that brought us sort of into accelerating the, the future of education, you know, what, that it takes literally not just the teacher, but also the parents and the community to make it happen. And we also learned that technology is not everything. It's a toolbox for sure, but that solutions came from a spectrum, from analog all the way to high tech. And, and that was a big lesson this year that I think, you know, um, for those of us that have dabbled in the high tech arena and we think AI is going to solve everything in one way or another, um, it, it was sort of a, a moment to pull us back and to help us realize that, um, you know, it needs to it needs to be the solution will come from a hybrid form. Mm. You know, this connection between human and machine, and 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 these are all concepts that we've talked about before, but we saw in action this year. So this is a very long-winded way of saying that um, while 2020 was the year of hardship and resilience, I think we're. 2021 will be even more exciting will be because it will take us into the 
cusp of transformation. We've now learned where we're able, we're capable of taking, you know, all the beatings of this year. <laughs> yeah. And we now know what needs to be done um, to really transform to, to, to 21st century learning, to 21st century workplace. And, and some of us will just never go back to pre-pandemic uh, yeah. type of thinking and doing. Yes. Yeah, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, I think about the zeitgeist a bit, you know, the great acceleration, the great pause, the great reset, uh, the great disruption, you know, a, a lot of these interesting insights. And then, of course, uh, no one is really talking about going back to normal. I think all everyone now, as we acknowledge that we, we only ever walk into an evolved world in some ways. Now, that might be evolved in negative ways as well as positive ones. But, you know, the idea that if we are to transform, we have to be able to act in a way that um, brings people together. Um, and the, the, the old, old normal doesn't, is not going to be the new normal. So we call in Australia, we call it COVID normal. It's the way that we go about our business until COVID is sure. no longer in the news, right? Which might be the end of next year or perhaps even the end of 2022. Well, fingers crossed. Um, so take, take me a little bit into, you know, with the world in 2050 work in particular, you know, you often talk about 22nd century learning or, and of course, all of the different parts, as you said, of the, of the ecosystem, um, you know, parents, learners, students, educators, but ultimately parts of society, you know, economics, environment, education, uh, entrepreneurship, you know, the third sector, you know, not-for-profit space. What what do you think the new normal? What, what are some of the qualities of the new normal that you think will will become manifest as we move forward into twenty twenty one? So, one of the criticisms of of us looking into twenty fifty is that it's just so far away. We have so many issues to deal with right now. And the reason we look at that horizon, that far away, is because we do think that there's two worlds that, can, that we're navigating towards in 2050. One can be extremely dystopian, and one could be just uh, an accelerated version of the issues that we see right now, right? We're looking at 10 billion people, uh, to feed. Uh, so we're looking at major food security issue, accelerated um, issues in terms of uh, resource scarcity, um, that massive displacement of people, all of the issues that we see right now, we see them being accelerated if we continue on this path. And this path meaning that we kind of solve some things at the surface, but not really in a transformational way. Mm. And so the world in 2050, what it does is it looks at it, looks at it from the whole of society point of view, right? Um, the solutions will not come from heads of states or governments alone, right? This was the approach we, we pretty much have had in the past century. You know, the solutions will come from top to bottom. Um, the world in 2050 looks at it from a perspective of the solutions will come from everyone, Mm. That's sort of the approach that the United Nations with the sustainable development goals and the global goals have, have adopted, that they will, that it's everyone's business to, to be a solution maker. Mm. So that's one tenet. And then the other one is that the solutions will not come alone from 
the tech community or from that industry or from, from that group of people. They will come from a multidisciplinary view of, of, of thinking. Um, and it could even come from the arts community, it could even come from the impact makers in, in education or you know, in, in, in energy. So we need to be able to bring even the quote unquote dirty industries into the table to, to make solutions. Those people who have actually, those industries that have profited from the mess we're in right now, they also need to be at the table and yeah. to, to create solutions because if we don't bring them to the table, they have no reason to be involved in solution making. So, so those are a couple of the things that I wanted to just bring up because they also affect the world in 2021, not just the world in 2020, in 2050. Um, and sim and I see this as a very, sim there, there's two simple things to, to think about, seemingly simple, nothing is ever simple, but one is, can we identify what is dying and, and kind of let it go kindly to where it's going, right? Sure, sure. So thinking about who's having their Kodak moment, we joke about the Kodak moment in, in business because they went from being, having a huge market share to being, you know, if you ask my children right now, they don't know what Kodak is, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, so who are the Kodaks of the world? Who is dying? Who's being disruptive and disrupted in a major way? And can we let them go kindly so that so there's now room being made for that, for that which is being birthed? So what is being birthed that we need to be able to bring to the world in a, in a kind way as well, in a non-disruptive way to society? And the reason I bring it to you this, this way is because we see massive upheaval in our political life, in our civil society. Uh, we see massive polarization of views. And I would say that if we were able to identify what's being disrupted and to let that go nicely and to, to then uh, be able to bring in what's being birthed in a, in a kinder way, then we would have possibly less societal disruption because we would be able, for example, to identify clearly that coal is not the way maybe, it's a yeah. dirty industry that's not gonna sustainably bring us to the, to the year 2050 where we can live um, happily you know, and sustainably. And perhaps what happens is, is figuring out how to let coal die in a kind, non-disruptive way so that something that's being born can be ushered in. So mm -hmm. that could mean vocational training or high unit training into new uh, jobs and, and opportunities. But, and that's just a very rudimentary way of explaining sort of the, the change that's happening. How do yeah. we usher in a, in a more sustainable way? That's great. And it strikes me that there's, it happens at multiple levels as well across the society. So, you know, there's the kind of the global economy uh, at that scale. And we can also go all the way down to, you know, a human being, like an individual. And, you know, we know, we can't, we don't know for certain what's going to happen. You know, there's scenarios, as you say, you know, we could, there's lots of dystopian futures, there's different, there's utopian ones or ones that are more utopian at least. You know, uh, so we can't have certainty, but we can have clarity about some of the themes that are emerging. And one of them, of course, is employability and the idea that we will need to continually be learning throughout our life. And it's really the premise of the learning future is our greatest capacity, our greatest 
strength uh, and actually competitive advantage is our ongoing ability to unlearn and relearn uh, and to be able to, as you say, allow some things to, to kind of to die, to dissolve and allow for the reemergence of something new. So when we know that young people will have today graduating schools all over the world, you know, 17 plus different jobs in their you know, working lifetime, you know, there is no more well, study for one job for life. I mean, that's, a, that's quite, I, I think a, that paradigm is already well and truly gone. So the idea at an individual level to being able to not have your entire identity tied up with what you do, uh, I think is critically important. And we had Heather McGowan, who's episode three of, of this podcast, talk about this specifically. How do we allow parts of our identity to diminish, to allow new parts to come? You know, so if I'm a coal miner or if I am a truck driver, for example, and we already have self-driving truck technology. It's just not mainstreamed and there isn't the policy framework around it, but we'll get there by 2030. You know, how, yeah. do, how do we support every human being to be able to you know, learn something new uh, in a way where they don't feel uh, completely you know, overwhelmed by change? Because I'm, I'm interested as well in your idea that institutions, uh, they are kind of protective of space and slow to adapt. But as human beings, it's kind of part of our psychology. We're constantly adapting, um, but it can it can feel scary to do that. Take us into yeah, and take us into the employability piece in particular, because um, I, I think this is a really big question for human capital investors like governments. Certainly, a big question for any educators and, and leaders out there, but also for anyone that's working in an organization, uh, knowing that it's the learning internal learning systems of the organization that will make it successful. For sure. It used to be where you as an individual were entirely in charge of your careers, seemingly, right? And you looked at it from this linear approach, right? You go in, you get information stuffed in your head, you are, um, you are evaluated on that, how good you retain that information or how well you, 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 you stuffed it in your head. And then you took a test, you got a piece of paper, you went out and then you took that credential into the workforce. And then in the workforce, you went into this long-term career where you probably made lateral moves, but somehow you ended up working in the same industry for 20, 30 years. And this is a very old model that's already been disrupted. It's already not happening that way. In fact, in our very first Global Talent Summit, in 2013, we asked this very question to the, you know, we brought in um, chief officers from major companies that were looking to fill jobs. And we brought in the deans of colleges and we brought them together. And, the supply and demand. Yeah. Right. And they said yeah. supply demand. And, and the, the CEOs basically said, face to face to the dean, you're not supplying, you're not giving me good enough uh, students. I know you're at the top such and such school, but I'm not getting good students from you. So now I have to create my own quote unquote university mm. within my own, uh, you know, 
company. corporate environment. Yeah. So yeah. I can teach them the things that they, you know, your degree has already been out of date by the time they graduated. So, so then, so, so you're right. You know, what we're doing right now is more of this zigzag. We go from this linear approach to the zigzag approach. We go in, we go out, we get micro-credentialed in the meantime. And, and so there's a lot more people who are doing incredibly good work. Some of them have been already on your podcast that are talking, you know, they're exploring um, what does that future look like in terms of credentialing, you know, in terms of figuring out what, how to map your education path, right? Um, and and um, so, so I would say that's where sort of we're headed if we're not already there. The edu- future of education will be more about the skills you acquire on the way as opposed to your hard copy credentials. And I would say as being a professor at Northeastern has also also already taught me that higher education institutions are moving, albeit a little slowly, they're moving their business plans towards that future because they do realize that um, the future of learning is going to be micro-credentials, going to be learning continuously so that that it's not this four-year experience, one and you're done, but that um, you're going to move on. And I have been teaching at Northeastern for, you know, um, I would say 15 years now, since summer of 2006. And I would say that in this 15-year trajectory, I've, go- I've gone, my student groups, the students I teach have gone from being your traditional four-year day students to now being completely untraditional. I'm teaching moms and people who have come back to get degrees and special areas because their jobs demanded Mm. or people who have been in the military and they're coming back because they never got a chance to to get uh, a credentialed in certain areas. Um, I'm teaching sort of a a variety of what you would call non-traditional college students. And I think this is sort of indicative of where we're going. And I went from teaching um, in-campus courses to then teaching hybrid courses to now teaching purely online courses. And at Northeastern, we've completely, you know, we've mastered what it's like to teach on a virtual environment only, um, which is obviously helping the non-traditional student more than more so than any you know your 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 kid right out of you know uh, high school. But mm. um, I feel like this is a very long-winded way of saying um, that we're moving for sure. We've already we've already made the move, and now the pandemic has accelerated like everything else mm-hmm. from traditional paper degrees to the zigzag of in and out constant credentialing on skills. And I think the, and I think it will go from, like we said earlier, education is this ecosystem, not just a teacher student relationship, but a community relationship uh, between teacher, student, parent, and employer. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that zigzagging sort of, network happening um, in the near future where everyone is kind of invested in someone's education, um, including the employer, but in a, mm-hmm. in a much more um, connected way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, uh, and, and interesting, the idea of creating an internet of education and things that you've been involved in as well at the learning economy. We've had Chris Purifoy, uh, 
on the podcast previously. You know, the idea is how do you build an architecture that enables, you know, all of us to be able to kind of not just, not just quantify, but be able to kind of articulate and recognize, you know, the different skill sets that we have that go beyond the idea of the traditional credential or the macro credential. Uh, because that's, as, as you say, it's, it's what industry have been asking for. Uh, and when it doesn't exist, they create their own, uh, they, you know, their own credentialing model, et cetera. And there's lots and lots of activity all, all over the kind of global ecosystem of, of school, school networks and organizations, large organizations in particular, that are thinking really, you know, intently about how do we do human development well? And of course, that, that's, that's why, you know, you and I care so much about the social and the emotional skills alongside the academic skills, because they are, you know, in terms of the soft skills, you know, 12 of the 15 skills that the WEF is talking about are those social and the emotional ones. So, you know, I, I think that's how do we elevate and centralize them is, is a really big question that we continue to work on. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm interested uh, to hear a little bit more of your perspective. If you were to articulate uh, what, the future of learning might look like uh, if we get things right you know what are some of the principles you think that it would have in you know 2030 but 2050 ultimately you know how what what might be a roadmap that we can kind of follow because um, I think we can all agree and sometimes there's this narrative which is the system is broken I actually don't agree I think the systems function as they were designed by and large exactly. challenges they were designed for a world that no longer exists uh, and they didn't work for everybody anyway, you know, because they had systemic elements baked into them about around inequity and racism in some cases. So how do you, how, how would you articulate, you know, maybe the future that we're fighting for uh, in any of the work that we do and the work that you do? Well, Luca, this is such a hard question to, to articulate, right? In a, in a, in a cogent manner. But I would say if I could bring a parallel, we talked about the 75th anniversary of the UN's um, founding this year. Mm. And I see a lot of parallels there because we go back to like why institutions, we are so, institutions don't change, right? And you, th you think about how these institutions were founded. And I think, you know, I bring the UN um, example because the UN, right, there's a lot of criticism, it doesn't work, right? The institution, is outdated and when you think about it it was founded after world war ii and it was founded specifically to make sure that another world war ii wouldn't happen right yeah, yeah. um and so in that sense it fulfilled its purpose and it now either has to adapt to a new world or die and a new institution will come out of it you know we were talking about earlier sort of what needs to die and what needs to be reborn or born out of the ashes mm. and I think with education we're looking at sort of the same thing right we talk about this far away idea of 2050 but it's what happens now that makes that future happen right um, and it could and the future only there's only three ways it can go we can have sort of a status quo and kind of again try to fix some things on the surface mm -hmm. but really not fix much it could go really bad <laughs> or it could go really well if we do the right, make the right decisions right now. And I think to make systemic change, you need to have all the actors at the table. 
I don't know who that interlocutor or who that quote unquote ambassador will be. It has to be an organization, an entity or a coalition of, of, of people or institutions who are, who, whose interest lies in the community or in the collective as opposed mm. to making their organization survive. Right. Um, so that coalition is the one I would say that will be able to kind of bring these kind of systemic changes. But um, I see a lot of good work already being done um, by organizations who find themselves in the convener space mm. or the thought leadership space. The big question of the day is who's going to bring all of that together in a way that is not centralized. So I think the biggest problem we have right now is we think solutions need to be centralized. This organization is going to just bring everything together and fix things. But I think the future really is decentralized. And mm. so how do we create a system where all of these things can happen in a, in a network that's kind of a well-oiled machine and these, you know, because we know, Luca, you and I know just from our, our, the networks that we're in that these things are happening in parallel. These yeah. solutions are already happening. So the question is, how do you empower them without a centralized approach, without a UN for education? Yeah. So yeah. If that makes sense, because that's where we're headed. That's, did I answer your question? Yes, yeah, <laughs> you did. Absolutely. The principle, you know, principles of co-design and, and uh, inclusion uh, very clearly. And, and also, I suppose, the right process that's fit for purpose. You know, right, even things yeah. like governance structures, you know, like how do we decentralize those so that everyone feels like they are, or not feels, is a co-author of this, this collective future. And it kind of brings us full circle to the idea of collective intelligence and collective action. You know, if emancipation uh, can only occur if we have consciousness. We need to use our intelligence to understand and to label and then to be able to act based, based on that, to get to that envisaged future. So my final question for you, Anna, is what is, in, in a sentence or two, what, what is your take-home message from, you know, your vantage point in the global ecosystem of, of kind of change-making? Oh. <laughs> so now, so now I'm thinking, what would be my big, you know, um, moonshot, right? Um, okay. I would say, I, you know, there was there was an article earlier this this fall about how we were set back almost 25 years in the Sustainable Development Goals, and that was a pretty hard pill to swallow mm. this year. As someone who is just hopelessly optimistic about everything, right? Even yeah. in a year like this, I'm trying to see the silver linings, and and uh, the article basically said we have we had made such great. Um, uh, progress in in alleviating poverty and educating children and and you know curing preventable diseases all of those things all this progress that was made in the past 25 years was just basically erased because of the pandemic and so I would say we now have this moment right mm. where we need to be able to never be in this position again and the way to do that is through pre being prepared for the next crisis, right? Mm -hmm. So well, we need to be able to be in a mindset where we're not just reacting, we're able to react 
and forecast and plan for the future at the same time. And right now, what we've been able to do is one or the other, not both. And I would like to see us as a human society to get to that level where we're able to do both. And if we do that, then I think that evolution and problem solving and solution making will be a step closer to 22nd century um, kind of evolved society that we need to be. And I'll leave you with this. And it's a mm. funny, funny piece of, of news that made it, um, you know, into the newspapers last week. I'm not sure if you heard it. And it was one of those, um, I guess in the Jerusalem Post, it said that, um, you know, there's this thing called the Federate, the Gal Galactic Federation, and there's intelligence li intelligent life out there, and aliens already know about us, and our leadership knows about them. And it was just a funny article that circulated, right, obviously, on social media. And uh, there was this comedian that pre was pretending to, to be interviewing uh, Earth uh, for an application into the Galactic Federation. <laughs> Basically, it was like, we're not ready yet. You know, we're not mature enough yet to be part of the Galactic Federation. And, and he was asking things like, so, um, you know, how fast is your uh, teleport? How fast are your teleporters? It's like, oh, you don't have any. Oh, uh, how about your, your, you know, the high-speed train that goes around the planet? Oh, you don't have that either. Mm. Well, you know, it looks like people are hungry, you know. Or, do you have enough food? Oh, you do have enough food. Oh, it's logistics. So you want me to write down people are hungry <laughs> for logistics? And it just went on yeah, and on and on about these problems that are you know, seemingly, right? They're, yeah. they're intractable challenges. We have food insecurity. We have resource wars. And, and you know, all he's like, you know, at least you're not fighting for, for, for resources. Or, oh, you have big wars, you know? And so <laughs> this, this, it's funny. Yeah. It's one of those funny moments when you realize that we need to be a lot more involved like that because we live, we live in a paradox right now, right? Mm. We have enough food to feed everybody. We do have enough resources. We do have an incredibly, you know, we're, we're able to, to, to treat uh, aging as a disease and yet we're so far behind, right? Mm. So it was one of those moments where, it, it, you know, it just, just give us, you know, some pause to yeah. think about where we want to go next. So anyways, a long-winded way of saying we can do this. <laughs> no, it's wonderful. It's it's the idea of, uh, it's kind of the pale blue dot by Carl Sagan. The idea is, you know, how do we evolve ourselves to a planetary level of consciousness? Right. You know, if we, because exactly. if, if we, if we were entering the Galactic Federation, you know, when we think about all these intractable problems, well, they seem rather absurd sometimes. Um, right. And, you know, there's that great line, which is, you know, how will we be judged? How will we judge ourselves? And how do we be good ancestors? Uh, which is a really interesting way to think about our role in the world and, and how we come together to try to solve some of these really big challenges. Anna Rold, fantastic to have you on the Learning Future podcast. Thank you so much for your time today. It's my honor, Rebecca. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.